Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. What a blessing to be here this Shabbat and to consider the goodness of the Lord. I was very aware, and perhaps you were also, that during the worship time that the Lord is working in, in lives. He's working in lives. And how many can honestly say that He's been working in your life? I can honestly say that, that He's been working in my life. And it's not always the easy stuff, and sometimes it's a challenge uh, as He works and reveals things to us, uncovers things to us, and, and, and also, uh, we don't want to forget, He also encourages us and gives us the strength to go forward. If you read this week's parasha, this week's portion, Beha'olotcha, if you happen to read that, it begins in the book of Numbers. If you uh, read that portion, you realize that it was rapid fire action. I counted, and we'll discuss this, Lord willing, in the parasha study at 145, but I counted at least seven major events in this week's portion. That's a lot. And I know you may feel like, well, Rabbi, I had more than seven major events in my life this past week. That may be true, but not like these major events. You're not out in the meat bar in the wilderness, and you're not out there with hundreds of thousands of others, some of whom do not want to be there. In fact, a large percentage did not want to be out in the wilderness. I'm speaking about B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, as they came forth from Eretz Mitzrayim, the land of Egypt. And as I was reading this week's parasha, which means portion or the Torah portion, as I was reading it, I marveled as I was feeling like trying to describe my, my sense about the portion. I, I marveled at the awesome works of God in the midst of Israel in the wilderness. I marveled. Yes, the people were struggling at times. They were beset with struggles. At times, the text tells us they had unchecked desires. And how many of you have had an unchecked desire before, like for ice cream or that type of stuff? But this was far worse than that. Unchecked desires, and they also had greatly misplaced affections and ideals. At one point in the parasha, it, the story comes up again, we need to go back to Egypt. It was better back in Egypt. It was better back in Egypt. The reality was it was not better back in Egypt for the children of Israel. As we say in our, during our Seder, Abadim hayinu leparo We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. That doesn't sound like a go back to type of event. 
And sometimes as we read through the parashiot, the portions, we emphasize some of those who rise up at that weren't exactly what you would call good characters. But there are other people in the desert with the children of Israel that we do need to remember. Moshe, of course, Moses. How many agree he was a pretty good character, Moses? <laughs> How about Zipporah, his wife? How about Aharon, his brother? How about Betzalel and Aholiab, who were uh, distinguished artisans that helped create the tabernacle and the, the fixings that go with it? What about Yehoshua, Joshua, or Caleb, Caleb? What about the daughters of Zelophehad? How many of you have heard of them, the daughters of Zelophehad? Where are the hands? <laughs> All right, good. And there were others like that that were introduced to, although we can tend to emphasize those that were creating difficulties or causing difficulties. There were some fine characters, real human beings that sometimes did not make the right choices in life. And I don't know about you, that sounds like my life. How about yours? I haven't always made the right choices. Have you? Probably not. But you try to, and you want to. They were a redeemed community out in the Midbar. If you read the parasha, we're in the throes of that that. Uh, wilderness wandering, as it's been called. But they were a redeemed community that had been delivered from Egypt. That's quite a thing. God is powerful enough to deliver a whole nation that had been entrenched for several hundred years in that locale and deliver them out. And I would suggest this to you. If he's able to do that for a whole nation, he is able to deliver you as well from whatever it is you struggle with this morning. He's our deliverer. And as he delivered them, and they became a redeemed community brought forth from the throes of Egypt, they found themselves under the sovereign leadership of the Lord in a way that they didn't imagine. He was sovereignly leading them. And the Lord himself, it seems, he longed to guide them and bring them to the place. We, we know what we call that place. We call it the promised land. But he longed to bring them to this place. And he worked with them and, and dealt with them and chastised them at times, comforted them, provided for them all the things that you or myself could list as the Lord is to us in our lives. And most of all, as we'll discover in Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, it will finally come out in the book of Deuteronomy, he'll say that he loved them. And I would say to you today that the Lord loves you today. He loves you. Perhaps you are struggling with things in life, but he loves you. And let's not lose sight of that. I know that sounds almost like a trivial statement, but it's really not. It's a profound statement that he actually loves you. He cares about you. But through it all, as we read through the parashah, as we read through the wilderness wandering events, God was actively directing them, and that amazes me. Some of us struggle to direct one life, our own life, and he was directing hundreds of thousands, some say millions. If we go by the census that are taken at various times in the Torah, as we see them, we realize there was a vast 
number of people that God was directing. And his promise and his provision was made clear to them. As I've already mentioned, he wanted to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey. And some would get there. And a whole generation, though, would die out in the Midbar, in the wilderness, in the desert. Now, my surety today is this. I am sure that God is still at work. I don't believe he stopped. I'm sure of it. He's still at work. He's still dealing with people. He's still aiding people. He's still changing people. He's still revealing his plans and purposes to people. He hasn't changed in that sense. And a true follower of Yeshua has an eternal partnership with the Lord. And eternal is the right word. An eternal partnership with the Lord because as you think about it, Yeshua promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. And over the years, I've had the privilege to facilitate or conduct many funerals in several states. And there's such a vast difference for me as an officiant, let me put it that way, of when someone who knew the Lord passes away and someone who was really committed to the Lord passes away and someone who was not quite so committed, how do I say graciously? And what a difference there is. I know even as an officiant over the years, I could feel that, sense that. You could tell with the family, you know, that type of thing. But Yeshua's love and the Messiah's love for his people will never fail. He is faithful. And we are united in Messiah's love as a community, as a kehilah, as a body of believers. We're united in Messiah's love. And can I say it this way? When we're united with him through his love and through our showing our love back to him through obedience, there really is no daylight between us and him because he covers the gaps. His grace is sufficient for you. His grace is sufficient for us as a community. His grace is sufficient for you and your family. Perhaps you have wayward children, prodigal children, and I won't ask for a show of hand, hands, but his grace is sufficient for them as well. Blessed be the Lord. I marvel as we think about some of Rav Shaul's writings that often do remember or look back to what happened in the Torah. If you do a cross-reference of Rav Shaul, Paul's writings, you realize that he kept drawing from the Tanakh, particularly from the Torah, in some of his illustrations. Some of the things that he says are actually rooted in, in the uh, first books of the Bible. And he said this in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. One of many rhetorical questions, we've been studying the book of Romans. Romans is full of questions. But he said this in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? There's another question. And here's another one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
So when he gets to this point in the book of Romans, he brings up some more questions. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us? And if we go forward into Romans chapter 8, just a few verses later, Romans chapter 8 verse 35, to quote the classic Hebrew translation of this verse from Romans 8.35, this classic translation to the Hebrew language that was done by Professor Dr. Franz Delitzsch. And he published and did and translated the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant, from Greek to Hebrew before Hebrew was a revitalized language. And he drew from some of the ancient sources of the Hebrew language, some of the rabbinic writings, and he drew from that. And some of what he knew and understood. And in Romans 8.35, he starts out this beautiful statement. He says, Mi yafridenu me'ahavata Mashiach. Translated, you know it probably by heart. Franz de Lich said it in Hebrew, translated in Hebrew to Hebrew from Greek. We say it as, who shall separate us from the love of the Messiah, from the love of God? And it goes on in the very same verse. It says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Again, another question. Mi yafrideno Mashiach. Who can separate us from the love of the Messiah, as Franz de Litch stated it? And Romans 8 goes forward and says, after mentioning tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, Romans 8 verse 37 says, Yet in all these things, in all these things we are, say it with me, more than conquerors. Did you catch that? In all these things we are more than conquerors, but how? Through him who loved us. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then this beautiful statement written by a, a, a former Pharisee, Rab Shaul, Paul the Apostle. In verse 38 of Romans 8 says, For I am persuaded... I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Our daily walk with the Lord has its ups and downs. I could say our daily walk with the Lord with its ups and downs. When it's seen in its proper context, that is, with the overshadowing of our lives by the very love of God that's exhibited through Messiah laying down his life for God so loved the world that he sent his son, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, for us, for you, for anybody you've ever met or will meet. Messiah came, when we see our daily walk, our daily lives, through that proper prism, the prism of God's love, it can bring some radical change to us. It helps us to understand, if we're feeling lonely, it helps us to understand that we have a God who loves us and cares about us, 
Sure, he corrects us. How many of you can say you've been corrected by the Lord at one time or another? How come I get more hands when I ask questions like that? <laughs> Every single time. And how many of you can say that you, the Lord has at various times encouraged you in your life? Well, as we look through and see our lives through the prism of God's love, it changes things. Loneliness is not so lonely anymore. Feeling as if you have no hope is no longer able to grab you like it could have previously before you knew the love of God. Feeling like your situation is beyond anything you can get out of and you look to the Lord and you realize because of his love that you're more than conquerors through him who loves you. And then also that sense deep inside. And many of us may carry around deep within us some wounds and hurts when we, when we realize that God loves us and he is the Lord that heals us, both our inner wounds and our physical wounds, as Isaiah 53 points out. Our whole life attitude changes because of his love for us. Blessed be his name. Messiah. Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, who laid down his life for us. Because of his love, do you realize, because of his love, he sets us free from the law of sin and death. Because of his love, we can be forgiven. We are forgiven in his name. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you heard what Christopher was saying during the worship. You're here today. You've never entered into a personal relationship with the living God through Messiah Yeshua. Your sins can be forgiven in his name because of his merit, because of what he did, because of his shed blood. It also is true because of his love, he calls us. It's important to respond to the call of God in your life. Let that be a primary thing for you, not a secondary or tertiary thing, but a primary thing, the call of God. And because of his love, we can receive empowerment to be, as we've already mentioned, the overcomers, the very things that we face in life. All this according to God's will. Yeshua said this, and the context was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now there's a narrative for you, isn't it? But in the context of Lazarus' situation, in Yohanan, John chapter 11, verse 9, Yeshua said to them, are there not 12 hours in the day? No, he didn't have that wrong. 12 hours of, of light at that time, of work, possibility to work. Are there not 12 hours in the day? 12 hours that you can get things done in the day, he says to them. It gives us some idea of what time of the year it was, by the way. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day... He does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. And in verse 10 of John chapter 11, he continues, speaks a contrast to what he just said. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And I'll remind you of what Rob Shaul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8. He said this, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
This week's parasha, as we read through, there were times where it just seemed, and those of you who had the opportunity to read it, there were times where it just seemed like there was too much darkness in the machane, in the camp. There was too much darkness in the camp. There was too much stuff going on that wasn't quite pleasing to the Lord. And I suggest to all of us that we take inventory of our lives and make sure we're jettisoning, and I use that term advisedly, we're jettisoning, we're getting rid of those things that are of darkness. Because it says, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. And the implication is we'll walk in the light of the world. Now, this week's portion, I came away as I read it, and I've read it many times over the years. I came away come with this idea. I realized that fresh and anew that the journey of the children of Israel was not happenstance. There was divine, divine volition, if I, if I could say it that way. There was divine intervention connected to their journey. It wasn't as if God got them out of there and then forgot them in the wilderness. That was not true. And when you come to the Lord and you begin giving your life to the Lord as a Messianic believer, believing in the Messiah, the Lord does not just pass you off as if you're of no value anymore. But he continues to work within your life. So let's look at this passage from this week's parasha, the book of Numbers chapter 9, beginning with verse 15. And it is an incredible passage. If you read the parasha, this probably stood out to you. And frankly, I read this passage over and over again. And part of it I'm going to read twice today. Sefer Bamidbar, the book of Numbers, chapter 9, beginning with verse 15. And by the way, notice that it gives us a date. It gives us an idea when this happened. When, well, it doesn't say January 1st, the year 2000 BCE. No, it says this, now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up. If you do a little Sherlock Holmes work, detective work, you can figure out exactly how that fit in into the whole um, wanderings of the children of Israel. But now on the day that the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony. From evening until morning, it was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was, verse 16, so it was always... The cloud covered it by day, and the appearance of fire by night, verse 17 of Numbers chapter 9, continues. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey. And in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above their tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord, and they did not journey. Verse 20, Numbers chapter 9. So it was... When the cloud was above their tabernacle, a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped. And according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. Verse 21, so it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning, 
When the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they would journey, whether by day or by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey, whether it was two days, a month, or a year that the cloud remained above their tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped, and at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moshe. Now, I don't know what you get out of that, but I see some strong emphases there. For example, the phrase, by the command of the Lord, as the New King James says it. A strong emphasis on the time frame of when they would travel and when they wouldn't. And it's interesting to me that it says at one point, if it was only there from the evening to the morning and the cloud lifted, they journeyed. You imagine that? It's like staying one night at a hotel. But then there are other times where the cloud remained a long period of time, and they remained there a long period of time. I chuckled as I was preparing this message. I was chuckling to myself, and I'm glad my wife and daughter didn't see me in there laughing with no one around. But I was chuckling because I, I just, maybe you would think this way too, but I just started thinking of the different personality types of people. In relationship to this idea of journey and only being there for one day or one night and other, other times staying for longer periods of times later on in the Torah, it'll give us a whole delineation of all the stops. Forty, I believe, give or take. All the delineation, all the different places the children of Israel stopped. And in some cases, it'll say how long they were there. But think about human beings. You pull into a place, and this was not easy pack a suitcase kind of thing. This was bringing hundreds of thousands of people. And then all the different personality types. Imagine those who have a certain impetuous personality. Imagine how they dealt with being there for one night, two nights, short period of time. And then having to stay there for longer periods of time. Imagine those who just love to be in control. And they have to control everything. You know people like that. They want to control everything. And if you caught as I was reading, I'm sure you did because I emphasized it, that it said, by the command of the Lord they stayed, by the command of the Lord they traveled. It didn't say by the command of whoever. Imagine that type of personality that wants to have control of the who, the when, the where, the how, and the how long aspects of that journey. Boy, that would be a tough thing for them. Can you see God working in all those different personality types just through his overall guidance to the community? And there were some that probably said, yes, good. I don't have to even think about this. When the cloud moves, we move. I don't have to think about it anymore. But there were the practical sides of the moving. Very difficult practical side. There were things that had to be carried. If you read the parashah last week, you realize there were certain things that were allotted to be carried by certain members of the Leviim, the Levites. You know, 
Let me place it or say it this way. Walking by trust or faith involves looking to God from deep within our own hearts. And it involves letting him control, and please hear me, every area of our lives. Every area. And a part of discipleship involves learning to relinquish those areas of our life that we've been holding pretty dear. For some, it's Saturday morning. I'm so used to doing this, I'm so used to doing that. Or whatever morning you meet on. For others, it's the pocketbook. And for others, it involves friendships that aren't good for you. And letting them go by the grace of God and by his leading. For others, it involves letting go of past wounds and forgiving those who said harsh things to you. And for others, it involves those that mistreated you, actively mistreated you, and those that took advantage of you. If we're going to let God be God, and if he's going to truly be Lord over our lives, I suggest to you to ponder the idea that he wants to control and be responsible, be the sovereign one, the El Shaddai, over every area of our lives. And he wants to be Lord. Actually, when we come to the conclusion that he truly is the Lord anyway, it's much easier for us to relinquish. When we finally face up to you are the Lord, you are the Messiah, then it's easier for us to, to give him everything. But when we still think we're the Lord, and we have control. And you know, the traveling in the wilderness had to be tough on some personality groups. Tough on the lazy. Tough on those who were full of kinetic energy and always wanted to be doing Russian. Have you ever met a person like that? They're always doing something. And tough on different personality groups. Those that wanted to just sit around and meditate. And God says, move. The cloud's going. Follow, do. I hope you notice, I mentioned I want to read a section again, but please notice this section again. Numbers chapter 9, beginning with verse 21. Notice how detailed this is, how specific, how repeated the idea is, because it's a primary idea. Not only for the children of Israel, understanding their journey, where they went, why they went, and etc., but also for us, by application, if we're going to walk by faith, we must follow the cloud of the Lord in our life. So it was, verse 21, Numbers 9, when the cloud remained <laughs> only from evening until morning. You mean all that work, all that packing, all that traveling, and we're only staying for a few hours through the night? Sometimes it's reversed. They travel that night. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning, when the cloud was taken up in the morning, when the, then they would journey, whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. And then it says this, another emphasis upon the journey, whether it was two days, a month, 
or even a year that the cloud remained above the Mishkan, the tabernacle, the children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. And at the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. I can just see human personality here. The first time or two, there may have been some that just said, you know what, I want to go out into the desert on my own. I want to move. I don't want to stay camped here. And they take their little tent, I'm speaking proverbially here, and they go out and they do their own thing out in the desert wilderness. That is an invitation for a serious hurt on their lives. Friends, we need to unite at this time these end days, as a body, as a community, and I'm talking not only here at Rosh Pina, I'm talking about all believers worldwide, all true believers, and follow the Lord, be, be led by His Holy Spirit, and we must learn to trust Him. And if we sense deep in our hearts to move, then we need to move. If we sense no, then we don't. But as the cloud seems like it's there, then we stay there. And I know I'm speaking in spiritual terms, and some may not really get what I'm saying. But we want to be a people led by the Holy Spirit. For those who are led by the Spirit, as the book of Romans will say, these are the children of God. It parallels the children of Israel and the cloud. The book of Jude, Yehuda, chapter 1. It encourages us to do many things. But there's also a description of people in the last days. How many of you have read the book of Jude? I hope so. It's one, one page, I think. If you haven't read it, that's your homework assignment on this Shabbat. Read the book of Jude, all the whole page. Read the, the whole book. <laughs> but Jude, I say chapter 1. <laughs> there's only one chapter. Beginning with verse 16. Uh, it's a great book, a very intriguing book. It, it describes, as I mentioned, some of how people will be in the last days. It's not the only place in the Brit Hadashah and the New Covenant that describes how people will be in the last days. But then it says this, and I think if you read the portion, you'll see how this connects with the parasha. It says this, verse 16, they will be grumblers, complainers, Walking according to their own lust. It sounds like he read the portion, by the way, the one who wrote this. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Well, that comes a couple portions later with Korach. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken, which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, how they told you that there would be mockers mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Verse 19 begins to describe them. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, and then there's this statement, not having the Spirit. Verse 20 gives us a contrast 
But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, your trust, building yourself with trust, praying in the Holy Spirit, verse 21, one of the new covenant commands says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah unto eternal life. As much as ever I'm convinced, and perhaps you are as well, that we need the ongoing guidance of the Lord, not only as individuals or as families, but also as a community across the board. How many desire to be led of the Lord, led of the Holy Spirit? I'm not talking about something weird. I'm talking about really being led of the Lord, where you're sensitive to the Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit. And if he says speak, you speak. If he says give, you give. If he says don't give, don't give. He says go, you go. He says walk, you walk. I'm convinced we really need that kind of guidance in our life in this evil and wicked generation that we live in. Because we are a people of contradistinction to a lot of what's happening in the world. And I don't know about you, maybe you've noticed this as well, but I'm seeing more and more how increasingly we're being marginalized as believers in the Messiah. We are being told that we need to keep our mouths shut. We're being told that we don't have anything to say in the public arena. We're being told increasingly in the education place that we really have no input in the education place. And you can go from there in your own thinking. Perhaps at your workplace it's happened to you. I've, I know of several folks that they were told they were not to talk anymore about the Lord. Now they could talk about everything else, but not about the Lord. Isn't that a crying shame that we're heading that direction? And although I'm not on top of all that's happening in the legal world, I know there are currently cases going on where people have been told to be quiet and they said, no, we're not going to. Not only in our country, but in other nations such as Canada, Holland, Europe, places like that. Friends, Listen to what Sir Walter Scott, who was born in 1771. I I think he predates all of us here, by the way. And he said this many generations after Moses and generations before us. This is what he said. I kind of like this quote because it, it puts a little bit of it on us. We're talking about guidance from the Lord. Well, we're involved with this too, aren't we? He said this quote, A sound head and an honest heart and a humble spirit are the three best guides through time and eternity, end quotes. You see, are you doing your best in your life concerning following the Lord? Are you giving him your best? Are you seeking with your best foot forward to follow him, to be led of him, to be guided by his Holy Spirit? Are you steadfastly asking him to guide you? Is it part, part of your prayer Lord, help me, guide me, use me today. Let me be a vessel for your glory. By the way, we are vessels. Whether we're vessels for his glory or not depends a lot upon us. If we will allow, commit ourselves, relinquish every area of our life, we can be increasing vessels for the Lord. And you know what? You'll be laying up treasure in heaven that moth and rust and thieves cannot take away. And the things of this world are perishable. They're temporal, temporary. 
And by the way, also, as I talk about the Lord leading us and we look at the parashah and how the children of Israel were led through the wilderness, and let, let me say this, friends, please don't try to lead the Lord. Let him lead you. I've met individuals that think they can lead the Lord. <laughs> uh, there's another word for that. It's a common Yiddish word out of the Hebrew language as well. And that's chutzpah. <laughs> to think you can lead the Lord, <laughs> that you really know better than him, that you see better than him, you know really hearts of yourself and others better than him, that's chutzpah. We are to be led by the Spirit of God and walk according to His Word. That is part of what I believe He was trying to teach the children of Israel with the cloud. Now, in conclusion, as much as anyone in Scripture that I can find, as much as anyone in Scripture seems to get it about guidance and direction and being led by Adonai, I look at the Psalms. And I want to present to you, first of all, just to give you an idea of what I'm advocating, remember what Psalm 23 says. Beginning with verse 2, it says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me, not me lead he. He leads Lee. He leads me beside the still waters. Who's doing the leading there? The Lord. Please don't try to be the leader. Humble yourself. Take upon you as Yeshua did, being a bondservant of the Lord, a doulas, a bondservant, Evid Adonai. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, Psalm 23, 2 says. He leads me besides the still waters. In verse 3, it continues, he restores my soul, and you probably know this by heart, but catch it. He says again, he leads me. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And if you didn't notice, at least twice it says, he leads me. And the psalmists seem to get it. And they seem to make statements that involve following the Lord and guidance. And I want to share them with you very briefly. There are many of them, too many to share this morning. But I want to give you an idea of nine different ones quickly that reveal essential aspects of being led by God or God's guidance in our life. And maybe you're here today and you need his guidance and direction in your life. Here's Psalm 5, verses 7 and 8. But as for me, the psalmist wrote, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. The very next statement after mentioning worship towards your holy temple is this one. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies and make your way straight before my face. Did you see the juxtapositioning of worship and then the prayer, lead me, lead me? Because worshiping God is central to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our life. And I'll suggest to you, if you're not really getting into worshiping God, that's not a big part of your life, please consider changing that because we were created to be worshipers. And our deepest fulfillment comes, and God is seeking worshipers when we allow ourselves to yield worship the Lord.
God desires to lead us, this, this verse, because it says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. And then there's this phrase. It's repeated many times in Tehillim and Psalms, because of my enemies. Even the psalmist had some challenges. Make your way straight before my face. God desires to lead us in the way of righteousness as we faithfully follow him, even when there is opposition. Well, how about this one? Tehillim 25, Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. The psalmist cries out. It's a great psalm, Psalm 25. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. And for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. If we're going to be led by the Lord, we must be teachable. Did you notice that? He said, teach me. Teach me. Lamdeni. Teach me. So if we want to be led of the Lord, we must be teachable. Teachable enough to yield and follow him. What he leads us. And by the way, also it says, lead me in your truth. It's very hard to follow the Lord if truth is not at the core of what you're trying to do. Be honest with God. Be truthful. Walk in truth. And Yeshua is our truth there. And it's at the very core of his will for our lives is connected to truth. Here's a third one. Psalm 27 verse 11. Again, the same idea says, teach me your way, O Lord. And then it says this, lead me in a smooth path. And notice it, it says, because of my enemies. We should follow, as Yeshua called it, the straight and narrow path. The, will, the road to destruction is very wide. And there are many that travel that way. But we're called to follow the straight and the narrow path of the Lord. To trust him. And to make him the very center of our life. To look to him for guidance and direction. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. And then there's this fourth one. Psalm 31, verse 3 and 4. For you are my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, for your name's sake, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Verse 4, pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. As we acknowledge the Lord as our all in all, everything to us, as the psalmist says, as our strength, the one we look to as we acknowledge him, he's better able to guide us when we acknowledge him when we desire to be led of him, when we recognize who he really is, he's better able to guide us. And he's also able to thwart the seen and the unseen plans of the enemy. Psalm 43, verse 3. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Your light and your truth, let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. God is the one who gives us light. God is the one who is truth. We could also say that his word and his spirit guide us. 
And we can also understand that he wants to bring us to a place of his desire, the place that he, he wants. He said, let them bring me to where your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Sometimes our decision-making and what we're shooting for in life is not the right thing. And God has his way of changing that course. And many of you have experienced that in your life. You're heading one direction and he ends up guiding you another. And it's him that's guiding you. You were set going this way, but he got hold of you and put you in the right direction. He brought you to his holy hill and to his tabernacle. And then there's Psalm 61, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist says, Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. You know what that presupposes? It presupposes that he was crying out to God. And you know what else it presupposes? He was praying. From the end of the earth, I will cry to you. And when my heart is overwhelmed, here is where leading comes in. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. We should be crying out to the Lord, realizing that he has a great place of victory for us in our lives. He wants to bring us to what the psalmist called the rock that's higher than ourselves. We are limited in what we can attain, but with God, as the Scripture says in a couple of places, nothing is impossible with him. Nothing. If he desires it, he is able to bring it about. Blessed be his name. Number seven, Psalm 125, verses four and five. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good. And to those who are upright in their hearts, do good, O Lord, to them. To those who are good and those who are upright in their hearts. And then verse 5, it's a contrasting verse, very common in the Psalms. Most Psalms have a point of tension to them. Sometimes more than one point of tension. This one says, do good, O Lord, to those who are good. It advocates good and those who are doing good to those who are upright in their hearts. And then in verse 5 of Psalm 125, it says, as for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Wow, that's powerful. In my opinion, that's very powerful. So God will lead those and and bring to them the good things that he desires to those people that really want to follow him. If you seek a piece of bread, as Yeshua said, he's not going to give you a stone. But there's this other group of people that verse 5 addresses, as for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead them away with the workers of iniquity. There are many different ways to classify that type of a person. Some use the term rebellious, the rebellious. The ones that are rebelling against God and God's way. And the Lord has his ability to deal with the unrepentant, to deal with the rebellious. It will turn up in the Korok portion. He has his way of dealing with that type of thing. And usually they won't even recognize he was the one that was dealing with them till later. Number eight, Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties 
and see if there's any wicked way in me. And then after all that statement, and it's an incredible psalm, after all that said there in those verses, the end of verse 24 of Psalm 139 says, and lead me in the way, and the last word is very critical, everlasting. There can be a way that's not really everlasting. We can choose those things that aren't truly in the eternal will of God for our lives. So we must be honest before God. I love when he says, search me, O God. And he says, know my heart. That's powerful stuff. He continues, try me. Know my anxieties, as this translation says. Any of you ever had anxieties about something? Most of us have. Then he says, see if there's any wicked way in me, then lead me in the way everlasting. The Lord will lead us in the way that's critically important for us, for fulfilling his will as clay in the hand of a potter, he will guide us. And lastly, Psalm 143, verse 10, teach me to do your will. Will you say that with me? Teach me to do your will. Let's say that one more time. And can you make that a prayer? Because it's really a prayer. The Psalms mostly are prayers. Can you make that a prayer? Let's say it together. Teach me to do your will. Notice the very next phrase. It is the cinch point of this. Teach me to do your will. And then the very next phrase is critical to the outworking of that very prayer. The fulfilling of that prayer. Teach me to do your will. And then he says, for you are my God. Friends, if we're designed to be led of the Lord, to do his will, we have to make sure he's truly Lord of our lives. Because we can't serve two masters. We'll end up despising one. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. And then it says this, lead me in the land of uprightness. Will you bow your heads and let's pray. And I want to pray for you here. If you'll, let's stand in fact, because I don't want to embarrass anyone. But I want to pray if you need special guidance from the Lord today, something that you really need, his, his, uh, his plan, his purpose for you. I want to just pray for you. He knows already. Maybe there's something you're contemplating and you're not sure if it's the Lord's will or not. Maybe there's something that you just have said, I'm not, no, Lord, this is mine. This doesn't belong to you. Or maybe there's anxiety about your future, what you shall do. If he takes care of the little sparrow, I think you're a lot bigger than a little sparrow. And he's more than capable to take care of you. But I want to pray for anyone here who's seeking to know better the will of God. Let's pray. Father, we look to you. Your will is good. Your will is the best possible thing for our lives. Oh, Lord, I covet before you in behalf of my brothers and sisters here. I covet your will for their lives. Whatever it is, oh, Lord, anything unsettled, any questions concerning about the past, the present, or the future, 
You are the one who was and is and is to come. Please reveal your will, Lord. May your name be exalted in every one of us. Remove from us that which is displeasing to you. Remove the wanton desires that need to go. Remove, O oh Lord, the mentality, the sense of thinking that is contrary to your word. And restore us, O oh Lord, through the washing of your word. And Father, thank you for each person. Thank you for each individual that's coveting your will, that desires to do your will. We say together, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yebarechecha Adonai veyishmerecha. Ya er Adonai panavalecha vehunecha. Yisa Adonai panavalecha veyasemlecha. Shalom. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance, his favor, his grace upon you. And may the Lord give you his well-being, his peace, his shalom that comes through the matchless name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.